first part, verse 1 and 2, we'll take separately. And then we'll try and tie that into verse 3, 4, and 5. Verse 1 and 2 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you, that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Um, I think it is tied to the next section, and we have the tie of children. And one practical concern that I've had as our summer gets uh, is upon us, uh, our children's safety and our own safety is one thing that I'm concerned about. Um, the roads are hazardous, even more so in the summer. We have people now with clear roads or good weather that drive even crazier. Um, it's because of the weather, and so human react interaction is is increased, and with that, more foolishness, um, more trouble, more issues, more sirens, um, more incidences, more fights, more arguments, more interaction. Build it, labor in vain. There's some common sense things that we need to do, but the first thing that we must do is live for the Lord, follow the Lord. Let that be our, our guide. Let that give us our direction first. Not just what is safe and what is good, but what does, what does God require of me? What does he know about um, my day? So unless the Lord builds the house, those who build labor in vain, we realize that unless we are following God, whatever we do, can turn to um, idleness, turn to uselessness or vanity. Then he says this in verse 2, It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. He's saying, it seems to remind me of, of how we take, on, we, we, we take on anxieties. And we try to do things. It's, it's vain for you to do that. And it uses this phrase, eating the bread of anxious toil. Think about those two words, anxious toil. I think about that because the last couple of nights, and it, it happens regularly for me, is where I can't sleep. And my mind is running. My body is at zero. <laughs> it's supposed to be resting. It's supposed to be sleep. But my mind won't let my body rest. And I ask the Lord, is this anxious toil? Is is this let go and, and give over to you? It's a good question to ask, and it, it, it's because we need to test. Sometimes it's just that um, I took a nap during the day and I can't sleep at night, or I drink. I also need to ask the question, even in that, is there anxious toil? Yeah, toil is work. Anxious is that worry and fretting of trying to make something happen myself. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to make this happen. Trust him for the results. And uh, that has to be the road that we take as we recognize our own responsibilities and the things that we need to do. But over and above that, we recognize it is God who is sovereign. It is God who works, and he will do his part. And I don't have to worry about him doing his part. And that's why he's used to this phrase, eat, eating the bread of anxious toil. It says, for he gives to his beloved sleep. 
What does he mean by sleep? He means we will not fret over the results. We'll actually leave that to him. What's a good picture of that? Is the Lord Jesus himself. It says in Matthew 22, he went on to the garden to pray. And he had a huge concern for what he was about to encounter. He, know, he knew that he was going to the cross. And he sweat as he prayed. He was burdened in prayer. But in that prayer, he released that burden and said, Father, whatever your will, your will be done. And so there's a transfer, there's a release of his burden to the resolve of his father. It's not going to be easy. He's still going through the same challenge, but he's given over his resolve to God. Lord, have it your way. I give it over to you. Not that we had control in the first place or that we, you know, we had the, the power to do something, but I think we have to, 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 to give over, we have to acknowledge his sovereignty and his loving sovereignty and his care over our lives. Even if things aren't going to go well, we still have to trust God that all things work together for good to those who love him. We still have to trust that God knows what he's doing and will accomplish his purpose. We have several in, in, our, in, in our group, in our ministry here, who are going through different things physically, challenges at the doctor, procedures that they're considering or have decided to do. Um, just, you know what? That's part of our human experience. Our bodies are frail and they're going through different things. But in those challenges, isn't God challenging us to learn to trust him? Think about it. Learning to trust God does not mean that he's going to deliver us from every ailment. One day we're going to die, right? So he's not going to deliver us from every ailment. But what we, and, and that's the same thing that Jesus encountered. He says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But that wasn't possible. God wasn't taking the cup from him. He was going to have him drink that cup. In other words, he was going to have him go through an experience that was not always going to be pleasant, um, not desirable. But God is saying, even trust me through that. I will hold your hand in it. I will be with you. I will carry, though, you know, we don't like the circumstance. We don't like the result. We're not looking forward to um, challenge. We're not looking forward to pain. We're not looking forward to, to suffering. We're not looking forward to a test. We're not looking forward to any difficulty. But God is saying, I'm giving you the test and the difficulty so you can see me. So you can see me work. Going to the second part of this, and maybe we'll save that for next week, talks about children. How does all this tie into, how does this tie into children? When, when God gives, when you're a parent, he gives you the responsibility to do some things over which you have you don't always have control, 
over the end. You are, you are working with human beings, <laughs> and you're guiding, you're teaching, you're directing, and you don't always have full control over the end result. There's some trusting in God or giving over to God that we have to do um, even with our children. So we'll talk more about that responsibility towards the children and even next week the children. Good evening, saints. We've been meditating through <coughs> the book of Hebrews and we've been focusing on the three keys to the book. The three keys to the book are that there are three ages. We're learning a lot about the Son of God. And we're learning about Him so that we might believe in Him. It is an act of placing faith in Him. And so now let's look in Hebrews chapter 8. I'll read there. It says, Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish. been talking about in the book of Hebrews about Jesus as his new high priest and that he was one after the order of Melchizedek and the last chapter talked about him being in the order of Melchizedek Melchizedek king of righteousness king of peace one without father or mother who just continues forever and how Jesus is the one who's a priest like that and now we get into chapter 8 and he's saying, we have a high priest seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. When is he seated at the right hand of the majesty? He's seated there now. 
This is not a past event, and this is not a future event. This is a current event. Where is Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of God. There's no question you have to ask where he's at. We know where he's at. He's in heaven at the right hand of the Father, seated. And we talk about the role of a high priest, and high priests offer sacrifices, and they offer gifts. High priest served what this writer called a copy of the heavenly things. Now, it's interesting, when you go through the book of Exodus, and we went, just went through that as a church, and you saw that Moses had to make a copy of all these things. And God said, see that you make it according to this pattern that I show you. Which means that God was telling him to make something like something that already existed. He was saying, make it like this. Because that's how it is in heaven. At least that's the best you can do. And what Moses made was fantastic. But it didn't quite match up to the heavenly reality that we see imaged in the book of Revelation. And so it's interesting because you got the priests who are serving this copy, but Jesus is serving the real. And then he says, this is evidence that there's a new covenant. Now the Jews would have objected and said, whoa, 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 are you saying something's wrong with the old covenant? And the author would say, yeah. Because God had a problem with the old covenant. What was the old covenant? The old covenant was the law. Which, if you do them, you shall live. But who could do them and live? Nobody. Nobody. They offered sacrifices. Why? They offered sacrifices because nobody could keep the law, not even the priest. Nobody could be perfect. And they offered sacrifices, blood of, of goats and rams, things that ultimately they can't really cover for the sins that you and I did but they were symbols of something to come. But it says Jesus is the author of a new covenant or the mediator of a new covenant, and the Father says this about him. Behold, the days are coming when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel. Not like the old covenant. What happened to the old covenant? The people of Israel broke it. That's why we don't know you can't go right to the land of Ephraim anymore. You can't go to the land of Naphtali anymore. You can't find out where the land of Manasseh is anymore. You could find out where they were historically, but they don't live there no more because they lost their covenant. And what happened when they lost their covenant? The Assyrians destroyed them. The Babylonians destroyed them. After the Babylonians, the Persians destroyed them. After the Persians, the Greeks destroyed them. After the Greeks, the Romans destroyed them. After the Romans, the Arabs destroyed them. What's going on? They lost their covenant. It is said that if they would serve the Lord, one man could chase away thousands. But if they didn't serve the Lord, one man would chase their thousands. If you look at the law, it gives promises. It tells what will happen when they break it. And in fact, it promises that they will break it. That's the scary thing about the law. The law is not just a, just a set of do's and don'ts. It's prophetic. It predicts that you will fail. And so he says, I want to make a new covenant. 
not like the old covenant. And this is the kind of covenant he's going to do. I will put my laws in their minds. That's a different kind of covenant. Remember, they had to go and constantly learn the law. There were times where they didn't learn the law for years, and they will forget about the Passover. They will forget about doing different rites. And they will break the law just out of ignorance because they didn't know the law. God says, I'm going to make the law in your minds. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, after I'm gone, you don't have to try to remember. The Holy Spirit will bring it to remembrance for you. He will tell you all the things that I did. He will convict you of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. He says, I will write them on your hearts, and I will be their God. They shall be my people. Everybody that was in the land of Judah was not serving the Lord. Read through the prophets and see. All the kings were not serving the Lord. All the officials were not serving the law. Certainly, all the high priests were not serving the Lord. As evidence of that, look at the story of Jesus. Most evil characters in there is the high priest. You could look at all the prophets, and what you could see is the prophets don't seem to have much respect for many of the high priests. It's about one or two they respect. One or two. There was about 50 of them that reigned in the time of the kings. Stop. Even in Jesus' day. Jesus is sitting there. You talk about the Sadducees. What were the Sadducees? That was just a group of the priests. They was one of the opponents of Jesus. But he said, they shall not teach each one his neighbor, each one his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. What is he talking about? He's talking about the church, the invisible church. I don't have to go to grandma and say, hey, make sure you know who the Lord is. He's right here. I know who the Lord is. From the least of them to the greatest. It's not, you know, David had the Holy Spirit, but not everybody around him did. Saul had the Holy Spirit. Saul lost the Holy Spirit. Not everybody had the Holy Spirit. The prophets had them. Not everybody else had them. Moses had the Holy Spirit. And when the Lord distributed the Holy Spirit to other men, Joshua was like, I don't know about this, Moses. Moses was like, chill, Joshua. I wish all of them had the Holy Spirit. What was Moses' mission for? He wished he could be up in here with us. He wished he could give a sermon and the people would feel guilty based on the Holy Spirit speaking to them instead of complaining all day. Why could they complain like that? You realize how many times they would complain and God would be right there in their midst and they would act like he didn't exist? That's just the state of the unsaved. What do unsaved people do? They act like God is not there. And you may say, well, if they could physically see God, they would act different. Not so. Because God is sitting there right in the tent. And they looking at him and still complaining. You brought us out of this land to kill us, Moses. you like, what? Didn't y'all follow the same pillar of fire I follow? Moses was wishing that he can go and not have to tell people, know the Lord. That he wouldn't have to tell, hey guys, that's the Lord over there. Listen to him. He says, I'll be merciful towards their iniquities and I'll remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. 
and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. What is he saying? Is he saying that the law is evil? No, the law is not evil. In fact, the law has many uses. The law is meant to be understood with the eyes of faith. And we cannot save ourselves. Many Christians make the mistake of thinking that they can earn their own salvation once they've been saved. They think their own works is keeping them. Their own efforts, they holding on to God with all they might. No, that's not how it works. Saved by grace, kept by grace. Empowered by grace. Empowered by grace. Everything is through God's grace and his mercy. Now, what's the focus of this passage? Well, he is definitely hinting that we should believe in his Jesus, but he's not saying that explicitly. So that's not the main focus. We could think that this passage is about Jesus. And Jesus is mentioned a lot. But this passage is more focused on the three ages. Because it's talking about the old covenant, it's talking about the new covenant, and it's talking about the ultimate fulfillment of those things when we get to heaven. So out of the three keys, this one happens to be the third. So focus on those three keys as you read this book. It's a hard book to understand, but if you focus on those, it will unlock the truth. Amen? 